Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiecka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiecka. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll explore frequency mastery and evolution. Everyone knows that if you don't like what's playing on the radio, all you need to do is change the frequency you're dialed into, and voila, just like magic, entirely different programming results. What if changing the reality we're experiencing were so easy? Well, according to today's guest, it may be. With us this hour to look deeper into frequency and its impact on perception is Mark Anthony, JD, Psychic Explorer, AKA the Psychic Lawyer. He's the author of The Afterlife Frequency and a fourth generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. Mark is also an Oxford-educated attorney licensed to practice in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. He travels to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to examine ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomenon. Mark is a headline speaker at conventions, expos, and spiritual organizations. His website, afterlightfrequency.com. That's afterlifefrequency.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thank you, Gwilda. I always enjoy being on your show and working with you. We always have a, um, a really good time, a good discussion, and we have fun. Well, fun's an important thing in this day and age, isn't it? It, it is. It is. Um, you know, there, there's so much tension, craziness going on in the world that, you know, we've got to take some time to stop, smell the roses, and count our blessings, which includes the people that we love in our absolutely, world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think our discussion today about frequency is going to give us new tools to do exactly that. So your bio says you're a fourth generation psychic. Tell us a little bit about that, Mark. Well, both my mother and my father had these abilities. And when I when I was getting older and I, I wanted to learn about, about them, I tracked it back into the 1890s on both sides of the family. And in fact, um, my mother's side of the family, they emigrated from Italy to the United States. And my maternal great-grandmother, my mother's grandmother, her name was Giovanna, and she was known as the woman who knows things in the Italian community of New York and North New Jersey. In fact, PBS did a special called The Italian Americans back in 2016, and it was a two-night, um, four-hour special they actually did an entire segment about Giovanna and referenced her psychic abilities. And I remember seeing that on TV and just being like flabbergasted and all my cousins, you know, we're all calling each other uh, talking about it. And then my father's family had been uh, in North America since the, the 17th century. And his sister, Marjorie, my dad was a U.S. Navy SEAL. And he became a NASA engineer, but his sister, Marjorie, his mother, 
Isabel and his maternal grandmother, Grace, were all mediums. So dad gets out of the Navy. He's all full of himself. You know, he's a U.S. Navy SEAL and he's at this dance. And he said, I saw this. I remember when he was uh, explaining this, he goes, I saw this foxy dame and I wanted to talk to her. Well, he's talking about my mom. And, and he thought she was like 30 years old. And here he was 21. He goes, what it was, she worked in fashion design and she worked at a high-end department store. And mom said, well, yeah, I got the employee discount on all the best clothes. <laughs> so here I am dressed in the nines. And she goes, and the sailor's like, you know, trying to make time with me. And she said, though, but but there was a connection there that she said it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't beyond the physical. Um, I mean, it was beyond the physical. And so they dated a couple times. And finally, she said, look, Earl, and his name was Earl. My mother's name was Jean or Jeannie. And she said, there's something about myself I have to tell you. And she said, I see spirits. And my dad goes, I won't say what he said, but he goes, well, I do too. And, and they, they were just in awe. And mom said, now I realized, you know, what that connection was. So it appears to be a genetic trait that, you know, a recessive genetic trait, which means that it can skip, skip a generation or two and that not everybody in the family has it. But when both parents have that ability, the likelihood of one of their kids having it, which is me, increased um, exponentially. I have an older brother and an older sister, and they they are definitely very psychically sensitive, but they're not mediums. Mm, okay. So um, what was it like, Mark, growing up? I mean, uh, there's a lot, of, there are a few of us that are natural psychics or, or natural mediums. And um, it's pretty difficult growing up because we're usually in a world where nobody else sees what we see or hears what we hear. How is that different for you growing up around people that, that got what you were doing? When you asked, I started laughing because when I look back on my childhood, um, it was anything but typical. And, you know, Gwilda, like you just said, it can be very, very difficult. And I count my blessings there because I remember my dad telling me, please don't talk about this to anyone outside of the family when I was starting school at age five, because I started seeing spirits when I was around three and a half. And then I had a near death experience when I was four. So I'm starting Catholic school of all things um, when I was five. And dad's like, don't talk to people about this. They, they won't understand. And he had good reasons for that. Um, if, if you'll indulge me uh, for a minute, his sister Marjorie was an extremely gifted psychic medium. And about 20 years before I was born, she was married to this guy who was a, a religious zealot. And I'm being polite by, by just saying that. He was afraid of what she did. He felt that it was, it was evil. And one day he was going to work. He was a machinist and he worked at a steel plant in, in Pennsylvania. And she said to him, something terrible is going to happen. You cannot go to work. And, and she was emphatic about it. They had a big argument. Finally goes, fine, fine. I'll stay home. He goes, you and that voodoo stuff. Well, that day, Gwilda, a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams and the cable snapped and it crushed the machine shop that he worked in and killed everybody in it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He wasn't there. You know, one would think he might be grateful. Instead, what he did is he found a psychiatrist to, to diagnose her as schizophrenic and men in white jackets, white coats actually came and forcibly removed her from her home, took her against her will to um, a mental institution where she was subjected to forced electroshock therapy mm -hmm. 
for over six months. You know, unfortunately, that's not an unusual story. No, you know, it, when, it when you're dealing with people that that have this gift. Now, Mark, were you able to, <laughs> obviously you were, be able to start getting your hands on that dial and um, choosing when and where, what frequency you were tuning into so that you weren't bombarded all the time with uh, unneeded, unwanted information? Well, um, yes, yes. And, and my mom was really good about, okay, turn it on, turn it off, you know, focus. Um, and also when I started school, I was so preoccupied with my schoolwork that, um, you know, I could tell when I was, you know, sensing spirits, but I realized that if I engaged in a, a really strong left-brained activity, like doing math or reading or something to that effect, it would, it would filter and, and block it out. So you'd be and, in the other part of your brain, basically. But if you're sitting around kind of drifting, daydreaming, isn't that when you're more vulnerable to it? Absolutely. And I was always a daydreamer. But, you know, I got away with a lot because I was a good student. I always uh, did very, very well in school. And, you know, I remember um, looking back on some of my school records and the teacher saying, oh, he's always in a dream state. But then when we ask him questions, he answers them. And it's like, well, T, thanks. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but um, I realize now that that dream state is about um, a shift in brainwave frequency. Right. And this is one of one of the things that I go into very heavily in the new book, The Afterlife Frequency. We have five different brainwave frequencies, gamma, um, gamma, beta, alpha, theta and delta. Uh, gamma is extremely high functioning. Uh, that's like if you're working on a calculus problem, you know, if you're on Jeopardy and you're in final Jeopardy, you know, you're Ken Jennings, you know, so your brain is running at full throttle. And beta is the the awake state. That's the state that we're in now and that the listeners are in where, you know, this is our we're able to function, go to work, drive, do tasks for daily living. As we begin to relax, either as you start to drift off into sleep or if you meditate, that's when you shift into alpha. When you go to deep sleep is theta. Um, dreamless sleep is delta. Uh, and it's on the alpha theta border that um, that neuroscientists who study psychic phenomenon have seen that this is where psychic and mediumistic activity occurs. And so in other words, to be able to um, have the predisposition to be a psychic, you have a predisposition to being able to manage your own brainwaves at will. Absolutely, because normally it takes hours to get to that uh, space in, in the sleep state. And that's why uh, visitations and dreams by spirits. And, and I bet pretty much all of your listeners have had this happen, or a loved one who has died will communicate with them when they're asleep. And it feels real, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it's, it's very distinct, very different from a typical dream. And so for some reason that we're still not entirely sure People like me, people like you can shift from beta to alpha theta within a few seconds. And, and, and there you go, you're, you're actually changing your total perception by doing so. Exactly. And that's why when, you know, you said it so, so beautifully when you're in this daydream state, because that's what it feels like. If it, it feels, it feels good um, because it's a shift in brainwave frequency. And it's also well, Mark, when you're more relaxed. We're going to have to pick up on brainwave frequency on the other side of a commercial break. Um, Mark and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution. 
For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit our website, www.missionevolution.org. Again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing frequency and the afterlife is Mark Anthony, JD, Psychic Explorer. His website, afterlifefrequency.com. Mark, we when we were ending the last segment, we we're really getting into very interesting things about how um, reality is ab- absolutely shifted by where we are as far as the brainwave state. And some people are more capable of shifting their brainwaves than others. And this takes us into um, people like shaman, shamanic practitioners, meditative states, various things. Isn't that what that's all about as well as being able to access the um, uh, beta or even um, alpha or even theta state in yes. order to get information and or commune with things that are not incarnate anymore. Precisely. And, and that's what's happening is we have two psychic receptor areas in our body, the solar plexus, which is the most complex bundle of nerves outside of the cerebral cortex. And that's why when people get feelings in their gut, okay, that's not a fluke. It's because you're picking up on that vibration. But since we're talking about um, the, the brain and data, the pineal gland, which is in the center of the forehead, about four to five inches behind the center of the forehead, the proverbial third eye chakra is the pineal gland. And the pineal glands about the size, smaller than a lima bean, larger than a grain of rice, the most mysterious and complex gland in the body. Biologists have been studying it for the better part of a century, and it regulates our brainwave frequencies. It controls our ability to perceive light. It secretes the hormone melatonin. It controls our circadian rhythms, like when we're awake, when we're hungry, when we're sleepy. And it also has magnetite and calcite crystal fragments in it, which and there's an electromagnetic field in our brain. So when you think of the first radios, which were quartz crystal having low levels of electricity running through it, Gwilda, we have a radio station for lack of a better term in our heads. And so this is, is the receptor area for data, for visual images, for auditory information. And so between the pineal gland and the solar plexus, We've got the feeling, sensing, physical sensations, and the data input. And so none of this is is hocus pocus or fantasy. And the reason that I I wrote, one of the reasons that I wrote the afterlife frequency is to explain how what you just asked about shamanism, okay, shamanism, mediumship, a visitation in a dream, a near-death experience, a deathbed vision, a shared death experience, an out-of-body experience, all of these different forms 
of frequency alignment with with the other side with the afterlife frequency they've been traditionally they've been split into separate categories you know kind of like a salad bar you know mediumships over here shamanism's over there don't touch the you know it's it's more like a stew in other words there's a common denominator between all of them there is a physiological reason why we're able to do this there is a scientific explanation how this happens which is explainable through quantum physics and it's about energy transfer and frequency alignment and so that's why i wrote the afterlife frequency to explain that and so so that's why you know what what people are doing in these various disciplines there is a common denominator, and it's not hocus pocus or hooey or magic. There's a reason how and why this happens. So the disciplines are actually simply a um, organized set of rituals that help you to control your own brainwaves. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, if, if, by analogy, languages, English, Spanish, Mandarin, Cantonese, Swahili, Okay, they're all different languages, right? But what's the intent of them? To convey information from one human to another using sound wave frequency, all right? The, the languages may sound very different, but they're transmitting the same concepts. They're translating and transmitting information. And so it's the same thing with what you just said, with the, the different types of disciplines. It, the, think of them as different languages, but they're essentially achieving the same thing. So within this, um, we can tune into people that have already crossed and we'll get deeper into that later because that's fascinating. But also, can't we access information that isn't available to us as individuals, but is actually very, very accurate through, through these states? Yes, that is um, one of the terms that I've coined for the, this, uh, the new book. Uh, I call this collective consciousness communication. Some people may call it the Akashic Records. Edgar Cayce called it the universal mind. Christians call it Christ consciousness. There's Buddha consciousness. There's Krishna consciousness. It depends on, once again, what language you're speaking. And the collective consciousness, think of your soul as a drop of water. And when we die, that soul plunges into this eternal sea of souls. That soul is connected to other souls, connected to other souls, you know, energetically linked. So therefore, spirits have a connection to this vast database. And that's why in shamanistic and mediumistic and near-death experiences, people return from the experience with this vast array, this wealth of knowledge that far exceeded the scope of anything maybe the spirit or spirits they interfaced with had while they were in this world. Uh, I get this all the time when I'm doing readings on people, uh, particularly in the medical medical issues. Spirits will start talking to me and transmitting me information about the person I'm doing the reading for and giving me things about their medical background or conditions that they're dealing with. Or So, so basically yeah. you're functioning as a medical intuitive there. Yes, yes. And I think the reason that they do that, Gwilda, is because when I was practicing law full-time, I, um, I was in criminal defense, and before that I was a prosecutor, and then I was doing civil litigation, accident cases, and so I had to study anatomy and physiology because I was working with forensics, coroners, uh, doctors, uh, all, all sorts of medical information, and spirits know that, 
and then they build upon that. But it's really, really amazing. And it's as big a surprise to me as it is anybody else when they start giving me information on things I don't know anything about, like genetic anomalies and genetic markers and and um, the, these highly unusual forms of cancer. So, so um, I, you know, I, I have to maintain an open mind. I have to uh, receive the information and convey it as objectively as possible. And then after the reading, we analyze it. So one of the pitfalls um, is not trusting the information you're getting. How can you stay in a space that you can be open-minded, understand that you may not be interpreting it correctly, but also stay open to information that doesn't necessarily jive with what you thought you knew. Well, it's like being an, an interpreter. You know, we keep getting back to the language. Let's say you you only speak English and you're talking to someone that speaks uh, Japanese and I'm the interpreter. So I speak English and Japanese and, I, you know, and you're diplomats. So I can't be interjecting. Well, I don't think we ought to do that. <laughs> OK, as the interpreter, all I do is convey the information. Let's get it all down. And then everybody analyzes it after the fact, because I've been. Um, asked in a number of cold cases to give information that didn't initially make sense, but then afterwards it did. And in a couple instances, it, it, uh, the information that I provided, which did not initially make sense to the recipient, was used by the police that led them in the direction to where they did find admissible evidence, which put them on the, the trail that led to uh, a, a, a legitimate and legal arrest. So now you're being a forensic scientist. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they, a forensic they, psychic. So, so, so tell me. There, <laughs> there's a lot going on. There's a lot. Well, th that's just it. We're dealing with the collective consciousness. You know, and, I'm, I'm, and yeah. you, you personally uh, have enough discipline to choose where you look. Is that correct? Well, um, I just, I'm just open. And what comes through, I convey. And, and this is a challenge for all mediums, is to keep yourself out of it. I, I guess the point I was trying to make is when you're doing work for the police, you're not necessarily trying to see how their liver is functioning. So it does take a certain amount of focus, doesn't it, so that you're getting the information that's pertinent to the question at hand? Well, sure, sure. It's pretty fascinating. And are you aware of when you change channels, if you will, if you shift from one place to the other? Sometimes it depends on on the nature of of the contact because every reading is different. There's similarities between all of them because I receive information the same way through frequency alignment, energy transfer. But how how it comes through. Um, for example, uh, I did a reading when I was on a TV show called The Doctors. It was a CBS TV show. And I did a reading for a family in a cold case murder, and it was horrible, horrible um, what this this man did to to this woman. And the information that came through was from from uh, the victim. He will be behind bars on another charge. That's how they'll find him. And then she said, "The police are missing something." in the DNA test and they need to broaden the parameters of the DNA test. Um, and then she gave me the name um, Terrence and Phillips. 
Well, I'm going to have to leave this as a cliffhanger because unfortunately it's time, or fortunately, it's time for a commercial break. Mark and I will return to our very interesting discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit our website, www.missionevolution.org. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Mark Anthony. We're speaking about how frequency dictates our perception. His website, afterlifefrequency.com. Mark, we left everybody hanging. Um, you were telling about a case uh, of a woman that had been murdered, and you were operating as a medium then, right? You were speaking yes. to her spirit to get information for the police um, as to, to uh, what had happened. So would you mind going on? Yes. So um, the victim's name was Allison Feldman. And so she came through and she kept saying that the police will find him. He'll already be behind bars. They also said, she also said that um, he'll, he, the police need to broaden the parameters of the DNA test, that they're missing something here. They also need to go through the emails and that they gave me the names uh, Franklin and Terrence. I, I, I think I said Philip before, but it was Franklin and Terrence. All right, that was just part of it because the reading lasted over an hour and there was a lot of information. Long story short, didn't make sense to the family at first. So they went back to the Phoenix police, gave this information to them. Well, the police decided to use the familial DNA test. Now, the familial DNA test broadens the parameters of a DNA search because they did find tissue samples at the scene that, that were not Allison's, they were the murderers. And the familial DNA looks for close relatives of the sample. Immediately, they found a match for this guy who was in jail. And in the, the match was of a close relative of his. And then that led to another match, um, a 100% match of a guy who just got, I think it was his fourth or fifth drunk driving DUI charge. And he was being held without bond. And that was the killer. Okay, so he was behind bars, they broadened the parameter. And at that time, only a dozen states were using the familial DNA test. It was new. Now, here's what's interesting. I got the name Franklin and, and Terrence. The very first time the familial DNA test was ever used was in the state of California to catch the grim sleeper serial killer whose name was Lonnie Franklin. So there was the connection to Franklin. And then, unbeknownst to any of us, at the time I was conducting the reading, the familial DNA test was being challenged in the state of New York by Terrence Phillips. So, you know, so when you look at this afterwards, that's why when you do a reading, everyone, you know, we live in a zap action society. Everybody wants, you know, it to be texting and instant messaging. Each piece of information is a piece of a puzzle. Then we had to assemble it. 
So the uh, the killer uh, or the suspected killer uh, is still uh, awaiting trial. He's being held by the state of Arizona. But uh, the familial DNA test, it, it was exactly exactly what came through. The one thing that I, I haven't, um, and I know that the police are, are, are probably doing this, it kept getting the details are in the emails. And so, but, but you know, when there's an ongoing investigation, the police aren't going to be uh, revealing everything that they're doing. So uh, this story is, is far from over. But these are the type of things that we, meaning mediums, get when we communicate with a spirit who is connected and part of the collective consciousness, which means other spirits that are connected, other spirits, so on and so forth. So here we are on, on a program called Mission Evolution. And, and one of the things that we look at in this program is how we can evolve as human beings and evolving into unity consciousness, you know, spiritual enlightenment. How does the ability, and I think all of us have it to a certain degree, how does the ability of accessing this information help the individual um, evolve to join the unity consciousness? Oh, in, in many ways, this is uh, part of what uh, my book, um, my book, The Afterlife Frequency teaches is spiritual situational awareness. Once again, my dad was a Navy SEAL. He was all about situational awareness. You know, you just don't walk into a room without, you know, scoping it out and what's going on. I'm glad that he taught me to be like that. But we, I take this to another level to the spiritual situational awareness that be aware of what's going on around you, but also be open to the subtleties, the nuances, the electromagnetic sensations you get from spirits, because this can save your life. It can give you insights into many things. It can alert you to potentially dangerous um, people, places, things. Um, and so if we're, if we're just getting started, okay, and um, everybody has this to a certain extent, am I correct there? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. So if we're just getting started and we're wanting to develop that spiritual situational awareness, um, how do we notice it? I mean, we're in the soup all the time, and yet we're oblivious to it. How do we start noticing those those signals? I saw a post on Facebook recently, and there was all these people sitting in a park playing with their cell phones. Okay, they're all sitting there on park benches, and in the background, Bigfoot's walking by. And the byline said, this is why there have been no recent photos of Bigfoot. Okay, everyone is so, you know, and I'm not putting down cell phones or anything like that, but the thing is, it's all about awareness. And we live in this highly technical zap action. Like you said, we're in the soup. We're distracted by a lot of things. You've got to learn to put that down. Take the earbud. You know, I constantly see people outside with earbuds in. Take that stuff out. Listen to the world around you. And so in the afterlife frequency, I give some simple exercises to start with your situational awareness. What's going on around you? And then... Um, the other exercises are opening up to the sensitivity to frequency because it's always there. It's just whether or not we're listening to it. We you know we live in such a, a so many technological marvels. I mean, you could grab your phone, your computer, ask a question, you know, how many, you know, vitamins are in a pistachio nut or whatever, and you'll get an answer. That's amazing. Okay. 20 years ago, not so much. You could do that. 50 years ago, that would have been science fiction entirely. 100 years ago, incomprehensible. 
Yeah, today it's a fact of life. The downside is it is it is severely impairing our own awareness of ourself, our body, our surroundings, and our spirituality. So if we if we take this back to say for instance shamanism, they would view because they believed everything was hooked into the unified field. That's kind of my view. Is that yours? Absolutely. Okay. That's so that's they, the collective consciousness. Yeah. Exactly. So so they could ascertain what was going on in the unified field as it applied to you based on what animals showed up in your world, because they lived in the natural world back then. Um, and reading signs in nature, is that still profoundly important? Oh, I think so. I mean, humanity's doing a great job of butchering and, and eliminating nature and, and the Islam being facetious, but also very serious. But um, I remember when I was a kid, and I know I talk a lot about my dad, but he was like Mr. Awareness, and he was also a sailor. And he said, you know, we didn't have a weather channel when I was a kid. You know, now it's like, oh, what's the weather? We're grabbing our phones. Like, you know, how about looking outside? He would teach us to look at the, the sky. Look at those clouds. That indicates there's a change in the weather. And at night, when you see a ring around the moon, Okay, when you see a pronounced ring around the moon, that means the weather's changing and the closer the ring gets, the sooner that's going to change. Well, that's not magic. That's the amount of humidity in the atmosphere. And if there's a front coming, of course, it's going to get denser. And so you're going to see this. Then um, growing up in East Coast, Central Florida, we would notice that all of a sudden, if there's no birds, that's because a hurricane's coming. I was going to say, look out. Here it look comes. out. Yeah. And then we get these big blue land crabs. When you start seeing them walking farther inland, that's never a good sign. And what it is, animals, um, they too have pineal glands. Pineal glands are, um, it's theorized, that's how migratory animals, birds, whales, all of them, they're able to navigate because their pineal gland is, is tied into the Earth's magnetic fields. I mean, this is like really cool stuff when you get into this. And also animals are very sensitive to barometric pressure. So when there's changes there, well, guess what, Gwilda, we are too. Exactly. Now, Mark, would you tell me, um, we have uh, an electromagnetic or a toroidal field that surrounds our bodies. Yes. The Earth has one that surrounds it water has it as well yes. if it's moving or even if it's not animals have it does the pineal gland communicate with the electromagnetic field of all the things in the area yes is that it does. how the information gets through I, I believe that that's part of it oh, one of the um how much time before we have a break well we have about a little bit over a minute so okay so i'll save what i'm going to talk about the electromagnetic soul till after the break but but it's that sensitivity tying into it and let me throw this interesting fact out mars the planet mars does not have magnetic fields seriously yeah. does it not have an iron core is that the issue i don't know and and so that you know you know elon musk and everybody let's go move to mars and maybe it'll be a good thing but it doesn't have it doesn't have an electric you know an, a magnetic pole that, that that's sounds like it that sounds like it might be amazingly crippling it could be, you know, um, I like what Sir David uh, Attenborough said. He said, yes, it's, you know, space travel is wonderful, but is there a more beautiful place to live than we have right here? If, if we quit messing it up, no. <laughs> well, that, that's exactly his point. It's yeah. exactly mm -hmm. his point. He said, we can do something about it now. And, you know, I know a lot of people are up in arms about this, but I've seen the evidence. I've been 
um, to glaciers. I've been in the Amazon. I've been all over the world, and I have seen the differences. I've seen coral reefs deteriorating, mm. and also living next to the ocean in Florida, I've seen how we used to get like maybe one hurricane every five or six years that would be a threat to us. Now we get five or six a I year. I know it. Well, it is that magic moment, Mark. We're going to have to take another commercial break. Now, Mark and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service of the world. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Mark Anthony, JD, Psychic Explorer. His website, afterlifefrequency.com. Mark, this is, this is our last segment together. And as promised, we're going to get into the electromagnetic soul um, because I think it's the key actually to unity and where we're trying to go as evolving human beings. Um, is that your view? And where would you like to start on it? The electromagnetic soul is one of the new terms that I've introduced in my book, The Afterlife Frequency. And people ask, well, where, where did that come from? And the funny part is I was taking a walk on the beach and I was like, what am I going to call this book? And then it came to me, The Afterlife Frequency. And I ran home and I checked on the computer and then I called my publicist, not my publicist, my publisher. And they said, nobody's using that name. We love it. And because the key concept in or one of the, the, the key concepts is the electromagnetic soul. And we know from faith that all the major belief systems teach that who and what we are is not this body, but it's the soul, the consciousness, the spirit. And, and that it pre-exists the body, comes into the body, moves on after the body dies. We know from the field of neuroscience, which is the study of the human brain, that the brain has an electromagnetic field and operates on, on electrical impulses and chemical reactions. But neuroscientists are completely unable how to explain the origin of consciousness. And quantum physicists in recent years have said, which I agree with, that the brain does not create consciousness. It's merely like a computer hard drive that hosts the consciousness. In other words, Gwilda, your brain did not create Windows 10, okay? All right, your brain did not create your consciousness. It only hosts it. Just the way our computer did not create um, Windows 10 or Windows 11 or any Mac programs. And so that when we die, um, those programs don't disintegrate, they get uploaded, okay? They transfer to the afterlife frequency. And so the term, the electromagnetic soul, describes what we really are. 
which is pure consciousness that is eternal electromagnetic energy. And we know from the last 50 plus years of afterlife research, survival of consciousness and near-death experience studies that consciousness, the EMS, the electromagnetic soul, survives physical death. And I've had um, some of the top afterlife scientists in the world, like Dr. Gary Schwartz, Dr. Dean Radin, Dr. Bruce Grayson, Dr. John Alexander, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Long, and I could go on and on, um, who reviewed the afterlife frequency. And Gary Schwartz, and, and he's awesome. Uh, he is the head of psychology, parapsychology, physics, and surgery at the University of Arizona's um, Consciousness uh, Center. He called me up, he goes, electromagnetic soul, I love it, I'm using it, I'm calling it the EMS. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's very humbling, and it's quite an honor to see how how the scientific community is, is using this term. And this is all about frequency. So, Gwilda, when we communicate with the other side, whether it's during a near-death experience where your EMS temporarily leaves your body, its vibration is aligning with the higher frequency of the other side. If you're a medium, you're raising the frequency of your EMS to interface with the frequency of the other side. As a shaman who is tuning in to the, um, the information of the collective consciousness, which is a part of the other side, um, it's all about a frequency match. So all the different forms of these interdimensional communication can all be explained through understanding the electromagnetic soul. So the, um, the other side, that's an interesting term, isn't it? Um, it's not a clear line, though, is it? Isn't the other side a continuum of frequency? It is. And the way I look at it, and I gave um, a talk at the International Association of Near-Death Studies, I called it the NDE zone, because I wrote the afterlife frequency to explain how spirit communication in its various forms happens, why it happens and where it happens. And so think of our world, the material world is AM radio, the afterlife frequency, the other side is FM radio, and it's in between these two systems that you get the frequency match. You know, and it's, it's like if you're driving down the highway and you're listening to your favorite radio station and you notice that you're driving by a radio, a, a radio station, the actual facility on the highway, all of a sudden your radio starts picking up on this uh, other station. So these things happen with us all the time. Radio frequency interference, radio, radio frequency overlap, and there's nothing unusual about it. And that's what explains spirit communication. It's alignment of frequency. So if you're working with someone, and this is going to take both mediumship and electromagnetic soul into account here, if you're aligning with someone that wants to speak with someone that was close to them that is crossed, are you accessing that person in their electromagnetic field? Yes, because when the EMS leaves the body, it's that proverbial drop of water that plunges into the collective consciousness. But you maintain your individuality. It's just now you're energetically linked to other souls, to other souls, to other souls. And the collective consciousness disconnect is when a soul, an EMS, will adjust his or her frequency to align with mine or yours or however the contact is occurring so that, that we can communicate. And yeah, I've, I've read, done readings for over 15,000 people and um, communicated with easily 100,000 spirits in my life. 
And they all talk about this alignment and they, they you know, it, it's kind of like, think of the other side and as FM radio. And within that, there are many different frequencies. You know, there's 87.9, but then there's 101.2, there's 107. And, and in between, there's all different levels of frequency. So, so Mark, how do you see the world changing if more of us learn to, to see in this realm, if more of us learn to, to tune into the collective consciousness, how do you think that, see that changing the future of our, of our planet? I think it would help people to understand that we as an individual are part of a greater whole and that we're all interconnected. And by doing that, you know, the, the earth is a living organism that we are part of, and it is part of something even larger than that. And when you start realizing that we're all interconnected, uh, we start losing our desire for anger, bigotry, hatred, and violence. Mm, beautiful. And, and I think, yeah, and I think that is, is un because everybody that has a near-death experience comes back with, we're all interconnected. And it's because they're understanding because they're reverting to the pure EMS state. They realize that on a subatomic level, we're all energy and everything is energy. In other words, um, you know, uh, this computer mouse is on the subatomic level, the same electromagnetic energy that I am, that the radio waves, the show's being broadcast on, that the light from the sun is. It's just that everything vibrates at a different frequency. So when we realize that we're all interconnected energetically, it would also, I think, help people understand that, you know, deforestation, uh, global warming, and, you know, and I'm not an activist and, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, some, some of the listeners may, may take issue with this, but the, the truth is we live in a finite world. I love what William Shatner, you know, Captain Kirk went into space recently and how he was crying afterwards. He said how fragile it looked, how thin that blue blanket of life around this planet was. And then you look into the void, it's the difference between life and death. And every astronaut that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to Neil Armstrong, uh, Buzz Aldrin, John Glenn, Bill Nelson, Mike Foreman, they all said the same thing. When you look at how alive, how beautiful earth is, and then realize that's the only place we have to live, it gives you a real appreciation for how fragile life is. Absolutely. Well, Mark, we're, we're running out of time, but of course I have to ask you, what is your mission? My mission is to help people understand that the divine power that we call God exists, that our EMS, our electromagnetic soul is an eternal living being, that the afterlife, nirvana, heaven, whatever you wanna call the, the, the uh, dimension beyond this one exists, that we can communicate with souls and that we will be reunited with our loved ones when it is our appointed time to leave this material world. Phenomenal. 
Absolutely phenomenal. Well, we are out of time. Mark, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show with us today and sharing all that you've learned being a lawyer and a psychic. Thank you, Gwilda. Many blessings. As to you. Our guest this hour has been Mark Anthony, JD, Psychic Explorer. Mark is a fourth generation psychic medium and a best-selling author. His latest book is The Afterlife Frequency. His prior books are Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity. Mark's website, afterlifefrequency.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to listen to past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Be sure to join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our rapidly evolving world. <laughs>